0: You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. And good morning or good afternoon. Uh, whatever the case may be, depending on where you are in this country at this point, I, I, wherever you are, I just hope that it's as beautiful where you are as it is where I am here in Los Angeles. It is a stunning day. It's going to be in the high 80s, sunshine. If I'm making some of you jealous out there, I do apologize in advance. Not, not my intention. I woke up this morning to a great day. Anyway, you're here with us live here on Pet Life Radio's live call-in show. The keywords call in, ask the vets with Dr. Jeff. Way easy to get a hold of us. 877 385 8882. Once again, write it down 877 385 8882. For even more fun, you can join us live. Uh, you can just go on to ask the vets with Dr. Jeff on Pet Life Radio. And you can click down and scroll down and you'll see a Google Hangout link. And you can actually join us live right here on the link using the link. And sitting in front of your computer, hopefully with a camera, you get to see us, we get to see you. If you have your pets in your hand, that's even better. And um, so anyway, it would be great to uh, give us a holler. Now, once again, want to thank our sponsors for allowing us to be here. Kong Veterinary Products, More Than a Cone, raising awareness of animal wellness through the arts. Brevecto Flea and Ticks for 12-week protection, My one of my new favorites. Save This Life Microchip and Chance White. Co-founder, president is promises to be with us soon. And lastly, ProSense Pet Products, veterinary quality products that you can get at your local mass retailer. And it's really good stuff. So, anyway, today, as we've been threatening to have a guest, we have a very special guest. She has her own show, actually, is on Pet Life Radio quite a bit. She is a very unique kind of colleague of mine, veterinarian. We're going to talk about that. And also a new book called Unlikely Companions. I want to welcome Dr. Lori Hess. Lori, how are you?
1: I'm fine. How are you?
0: I'm doing just great. How are things out in New York?
1: A little chillier here than where you are.
0: Oh, yeah. Is it? <laughs> I, mean, I was in New York a couple of weeks ago, and it was, you know, they say like a week before I was there, it was still like 80. And then yeah. and then all of a sudden it dropped down <laughs> to the way lower. Yeah. It was okay. I got a couple days rain. Yeah, a little chillier. Is it, uh, is it really? Yeah. So anyway, Unlikely Companions. Dr. Lori Hess. Lori, you know, I... For those of you who obviously listen, you know, I'm one of those weirdos that wanted to be a veterinarian ever since he was five. I never thought about anything else. I grew up with dogs and cats. And for me, it was always going to be dogs and cats. I, just, I knew it from the time I was a little kid. You know, I've had birds in the past. I've had a lot of pocket pets in the past. But my love, my passion was dogs and cats. And interestingly, when you go through veterinary school, you always have those classmates that are doing kind of weird things. Now, I had a couple of classmates that were zoo vets, very successful. I had one classmate, and it turned out to be very successful. He liked chickens, and he went poultry as his tract. He became one of the top veterinarians for foster farms for like a zillion years. He's now semi-retired, made a lot of money. But I want to know, Lori, how did you get into all of the little creatures that you have a passion for? When did that start?
1: Uh, well, I, like you, always wanted to be a vet, never, ever thought about doing anything else. But um, I didn't really know that I wanted to do exotics until later in life. I grew up in a high-rise apartment building in the middle of New York City on the eighth floor. And in my apartment growing up, yes, we had cats and dogs like everybody else, but we had guinea pigs, and we had birds, and we had lizards. And my dad, who is a high-powered New York City attorney, actually had two 150-gallon fish tanks, one salt water on freshwater, but they weren't just regular fish tanks. We had things like sharks and eel and stingray in them. So I want to be vet forever. didn't know I wanted to do all that crazy stuff to later, but that's kind of how I got into it.
0: So uh, when you started veterinary school and you, you went to, did you go to Cornell? where did you go to vet school? I went to Tufts. You went to Tufts. Okay. Oh, my, my first associate, Dr. Judy Aronson, went to Tufts. So uh, it's great school. So when I was applying to veterinary school, there was no Tufts. So
1: <laughs> I was one of the uh, early classes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, I was maybe even earlier then. Anyway, so what made the shift, if you will, from the dog and cat, typical city veterinarian, to the pocket pets, the exotics, things like that?
1: Well, I did an internship, a one-year internship after veterinary school at a very big animal hospital, well-known in New York City, called the Animal Medical Center. It's a, a full square block, eight stories high, and in any internship, as you know, you rotate through all these different departments, cardiology and surgery and oncology. And one of my rotations was the avian and and exotic service. And I saw crazy stuff in that time. I spent about five weeks in that department and realized that I knew absolutely nothing about any of these animals coming in the door. And that if I were going to go out and practice and someone had to know how to take care of these animals, I should stick around a little longer and learn how to take care of them. So I ended up doing two more years of schooling, another two years of residency at that hospital, where then I became a bird specialist. And since then, which was 23 years ago, I've done nothing but take care of exotic pets
0: and birds. Now, let's talk birds for a second. I just was in, I told you I was in New York uh, two weeks ago, stayed with some cousins, and it was a family function. And they had a, a beautiful African gray, a magnificent cockatoo, and a little um, hyacinth. But was interesting about the, when you think about an African gray and a cockatoo, and I asked you which one of the two would be more social to a stranger, okay, probably mm-hmm. you would say the cockatoo.
1: Probably. In this case,
0: this cockatoo was the nasty little sucker, <laughs> and boy, the African gray was unbelievable.
1: That's unusual. Uh,
0: I know, I know. My dad had a gray for a while. I have threatened often to get a bird, you know, something like a scarlet macaw, I love these birds. But first of all, you know, it's really different when you're, you're so used to dealing. In fact, when you want to make the jump, and I often say this to, to people that clients that might call me and I take care of their dogs and cats and they want me to take a look at the bird. I say, you understand, birds, it's a different animal, literally. And, mm-hmm. and you need specialized equipment. It's not just something you can say, oh, well, I can, I, I can draw a beak. I can trim the toenails. I can cut feathers. But I'm talking about when you have a sick bird, you really need a lot of expertise And interestingly, one of my former colleagues, uh, associate veterinarians who now lives in Sacramento, he also did that AMC rotation. It was very interesting. And in his rotation, he met one of the radiology techs and they became a couple. Mm -hmm. But she did not want to leave right away. So he had an after his general medicine surgery surgery internship at amc he decided to stay and the only opening he said just give me anything so i can stay for a year was (laughs) avian exotics really and so when he was working with me we did see quite a bit of birds we saw all these all the amazing reptiles and and the lizards and and the pocket pets you know i was handling sugar gliders and and all sorts of weird things but what's so interesting in reading your book and i have to say i was one of the fortunate ones to be given a pre-copy of your book to review and i found it so enjoyable because, you know, when you're dealing with these. I have great stories and I'm just dealing with a dog and cat. Can you imagine everybody out there? How many great stories Lori has when you're dealing with these so such bizarre animals, pocket people that, that I, some of these animals I've never even touched before. I remember having to do a segment once. And this is a very funny story, actually. And since we were dealing with pocket pets, they customized a sport coat for me with a lot of pockets. Oh, that's and I. OK, so, there, so and I would reach into a pocket and I would grab, you know, whether it was a, a Russian dwarf hamster, a guinea pig. And I'm handling all these animals, a sugar glider. And then I reach in my pocket for the very last animal. OK, and this little guy had big teeth and not, I should preface this, not legal in California. So hmm. my experience with them was very limited. And we <laughs> call this a ferret.
1: That's it. And, yep.
0: and I had one of my clients she named her Ferret Bueller, which I thought was really cute. Another one, she had two of them. The other one was Slinky. And if you've ever worked with or seen a ferret, you'll know why, how, that, how appropriate that name Slinky is. But ferrets are carnivores. And the worst thing you can do, the dumbest thing you can do is stick your hand in a pocket with a ferret after handling four or five other little pets meaning the smell. And I reach into this pocket and oh my, this was a cute ferret. And we were playing before the show went live. And all of a sudden it was with Mike and Maddie on ABC. And I put my hand in my pocket and he crunches down on my finger. And so it's bleeding like crazy here on live TV. And I'm casually reaching into my other pocket to grab a tissue and wrapping around my finger. It was hysterical. So tell us some funny stories. I'm sure you've seen and dealt with everything. Do you have a favorite? I do.
1: I do. Well, a favorite species. or I have a favorite story. I don't know. I really love all the animals I work with. I mean, I think birds are really, really unique because as you said, they're totally, totally different. Their insides are different. Their diseases, their personalities, they're incredible. But I mean, I love all the animals I work with. and, And that's the fun of what I do is that on any given day, I have no idea what's walking in the door. And honestly, it's, you know, every case, every patient, every owner is completely different. So um, mm-hmm. it's funny the story that you told. Though I, I have to say that when I do segments, whether I do it on television or I teach something, I always have to remember the snake has to come before the rodent. You don't want to hold <laughs> the rodent and then hold the snake because for the same <laughs> reason you got to right. be careful. <laughs> so um, yeah, no, I, I love all the animals I work with, but uh, they're all different and they're all so much fun.
0: Now, one of the things that I, I mentioned to you, we talked on the phone last week, and you know, again, when I do these segments, and, and again. I'm learning for the first time. So I'm speaking to people like Lori to get some facts. And years ago, I would create my little cheat sheets, my little index cards. And we were talking bunnies. It was a segment around Eastern bunnies and the problem and people getting them in precautions and cautions about bunnies. And, um, you know, back then, we used to say that the lifespan of a bunny was maybe seven years. And then I heard elsewhere recently, they're saying up to nine, even 10 years, Lori. Absolutely. So
1: what- even longer. I saw a 13-year-old bunny actually a few weeks ago. Um, I used to say seven to nine. That was like exactly what we said. But I think people are really getting savvy about bunnies. I have to say, Mm. I'm seeing more bunnies in my practice now than ever before. They are truly multiplying. It is crazy. And people are, are really knowledgeable, I think, and they're taking better care of them. So they are living longer. Definitely.
0: Right. And now let's talk about longevity before our break. We want to do it, and we often joke about this, but, you know, everyone knows that tortoises can live a long time, right? Desert tortoises. But when we talk about birds, let's talk some of the citizens, the large citizens like the macaws and the parrots and the cockatoos. They have a pretty long lifespan. You got to prepare accordingly if you're going to get one as a a middle-aged adult.
1: Absolutely. And people don't really realize that, that when they get that bird, that bird is going to probably outlive them, probably will have to be passed down generation to generation. And if you're getting it for your kid and your kid grows up and goes off to college, I'm actually facing that now with a cockatoo and my 17 year old son who's leaving in a few months. Really You have to think about what to do with these animals. They can live, you know, on average, I see, oh, my gosh, 30, 40, 40 years at least, some of them 50, 60 years. So it's right. really, really long lived. Definitely the birds and, as you said, some of the reptiles.
0: So um, I think it's great because oh, my, my sister had some uh, California desert tortoises, and uh, they lasted a long time. I mean, it was, it was amazing. So before we break, which we have to break, it's that time, I want, Lori, I want you to think about, when we come back, some really, really fun, cool stories that sort of caught you off guard when dealing with these pets. And uh, don't go away. We'll be back in a second. And uh, if you uh, want any questions, if you're listening, and you can either call us, 877-385, Eight 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 two, or come join us live here on air. And if you have any questions about exotic pets for Dr. Lori Hess, I'm sure she would love to help us out. Don't go. We'll be back in just a minute. We'll be right back right after these messages. Stay tuned. As a dog, I know a lot about fleas and ticks, so trust me when I say no other tasty chew protects dogs as long as Brevecto. One Brevecto chew keeps fleas and ticks away for up to 12 weeks. Be a good human and ask your vet about Brevecto. Brevecto may cause vomiting.
1: It's designerpetsweaters.com. Hand-knitted designer sweaters for your precious pup or cool cat
0: This is my tired of itching face. Does your dog suffer from persistent itching and scratching? Allergies and skin irritations caused by environment, including pollens, insects, especially fleas, food, and common household allergens are common problems in dogs. It's easy to alleviate your dog's discomfort at home with ProSense. ProSense itch and allergy products provide fast relief from symptoms like itchy, irritated skin. Skin infections like hot spots and watery eyes. ProSense products are veterinary formulated and recommended to ensure the very best for your pet. Try ProSense today. Your dog will thank you for it. Pets love life. Love them back with ProSense. Oh sure, it's all fun and games until someone ends up in a cone. That's right, we're animals. Deal with it. Pet Life Radio. Live life unleashed. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets on Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. We and welcome back. You're here live with Dr. Jeff Weber and Dr. Lori Hess. Uh, author of Unlikely Companions, a really great, cute book uh, about her experiences working with exotic pets, which I found fascinating because I know very little about exotic pets. You know, it's interesting, as I'm sure it was at Tufts and it was at Davis where I went to school. When you meet somebody and they hear your doctor and they say, oh, so what kind of what do you do? What, what's your specialty? You say, "Oh, I'm a veterinarian. They go, oh, so you're not a real doctor. So we hear this all the time. So um, I have a license plate rim that, Lori, you should have, especially because if I have it, you definitely should have it. And it says, real doctors treat more than one species. So um, great. that's great. Well, isn't that great? <laughs> so, that. uh because people always think that when you you know go to a vet school, you, oh God, so you couldn't get into med school, and so you went to your cracker jack, and you just got a veterinary degree. When in reality, is anyone knows, including medical doctors, in fact, they're the only ones that know it that it's harder to become a veterinarian. And I I have a number of my friends that we were all pre vets together back in the day, back in the you know early seventies, and now they're medical doctors, and I'm the veterinarian. So uh, it just goes to show you. Anyway, I'm curious. You must have a number of strange or funny experiences can you to share one or two with us
1: Absolutely. I have my favorite and my best one ever. It actually happened only when I was about two weeks out of veterinary school. And you know, from your own experience, when you get out of vet school, you've been in a classroom for a long time, but you really have no idea what you're doing. (laughs) And it takes a little while to be in that clinic and be confident and, you know, portray confidence to to the owners and and feel like you really know what what you're doing. So I was at the Animal Medical Center, the AMC, as you mentioned before, in New York City. I had been two weeks out of Tufts. I was absolutely petrified. There is a position called night doctor where you go on at midnight and you're the only vet there between midnight and 9 a.m. And realize during the day, for those of you that don't know the AMC, it's a huge hospital. There are 100 vets there all day long. There are literally over 100 pets in the hospital that anything could happen to overnight. And as a night doctor, you're responsible for everything that walks in the door between midnight and 9 a.m. and anything that should crash and burn in the hospital during that time, too. And basically there's one receptionist, there's a ward nurse, and then there's what they call a clinic assistant kind of walking around with you. That's it. Everybody else goes home. So I was two weeks out of school. I was in an exam room and I was dealing with a blocked cat, which as Dr. Jeff knows, that's kind of scary when you're a veterinarian. You're trying to get this cat that can't pee, basically, uh, which is life-threatening for this cat to uh, to be comfortable and, and solve this problem. Owner's obviously very distraught. I'm focused on this. And then I hear this screaming from the waiting room. There's a receptionist there, and she is this German woman who nothing fazed this woman at all. You know, she had been sitting at that desk literally for 30 years. And I hear her screaming, Dr. Hess, Dr. Hess, get to room three. I've never heard this woman be upset before, ever. So I go running into room three, and there's a guy there, and he's gesturing and waving his arms wildly around, and he's gesturing at this cat. And it, it was a, a large cat, it wasn't a typical house cat. But he's gesturing at this cat sitting in this little bag, the Sherpa bag, like, you know, you see cats come in all the time. And I said to him, It's fine. Look at the cat. It's fine. It, it, no, it's, it's okay. And he goes, No, no, no. and he He takes this gym bag, this little duffel bag, throws it out onto the table, opens it up, and there's a monkey in the bag. And the monkey is in a coma. It's a little teeny monkey, a little capuchin. It has an IV catheter with a bag of fluids running into one arm which is unusual enough because that's not usually how our patients come in. It's a little odd. And then the other arm is missing from the elbow down and it's bleeding and it's a mess. And now he he begins to explain to me that he basically, the monkey was sick and uh, the monkey scared the cat, the cat bit the monkey's arm off and he wants me to take it out of the cat and put it back on the monkey. Now I'm really (laughs) not, I'm not making this up. This really happened to me and I've had lots of things happen to me in the past 23 years, but really nothing Beats this story. (laughs) So in the middle of the night, I freaked out. I excused myself from the room for a minute, called my supervisor, who is a very well-known exotics vet who fortunately doesn't sleep very much. And I said, do you have any idea why this monkey would have an IV fluid line going into its arm? Have you heard about this? It clearly had been to another veterinary. And she said, just take precautions. So I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Outbreak, but all the equipment, you know, all that facial stuff, like the booties and the facial mask and the the whole thing. I came in with every piece of equipment I could find on my body, went back into the room. The man thought that I was insane. You know, monkeys can carry some really serious illnesses.
0: Absolutely. Robin Cook is one of my favorite offers. Yeah.
1: So <laughs> I had to protect myself, and I had no idea what I was getting into. So um, this monkey, basically, you know, I, I I took the monkey. The man had very little money to spend. But um, like any good veterinarian, I took the cat. I did an x-ray, as we would with any cat or a dog or whatever eats a foreign object, which was in this, in this case, a, a hand of a monkey and it was a little teeny hand. So it had already passed down into the colon of the cat. It was passing through like a little chicken bone, not causing any kind of problem. In fact, you could see all the fingers intact in the hand oh, God. passing out. And I, I told the guy, there was no way we were retrieving the hand. It was going out the other end of the cat. So the cat was going to be fine. So I took the monkey in and I cleaned up the monkey's arm. I cleaned up the wound and I bandaged it put the monkey in the hospital and you know, tried to figure out why he was in a coma. It had actually been seizuring, which is why the cat got scared. And uh, the monkey was in the hospital for several days. No one wanted to touch this unvaccinated or untuberculosis tested monkey, but a few of us did. And unfortunately, the monkey passed away, which was very sad. And we found little herpes particles in its brain. Now, there are many different kinds of herpes, but there is something called herpes B, which is a very, very bad disease that monkeys can carry that is very, very contagious, even just through the air, through little particles of saliva, to humans, and it can be fatal to humans. Monkeys can carry it, depending upon the monkey species. And for a good few days, we didn't know what kind of herpes this monkey had, but it actually had herpes simplex, which is cold sore herpes, which we can carry. Not such a big deal for us, but a big deal to this monkey. So someone had actually kissed the monkey on the lips, gave it herpes, uh, and it died. And it seizured a bunch of times before then. But that is my very best story. So.
0: You know, it's interesting because we all have those stories. One of my early cases coming out of school, there's a disease that we read about. Um, now I see it, but I mean, back then I was just starting, called Cushing's disease. And, and these animals have a certain look to them, and they're kind of greasy, fatty skin. They lose their hair. So this dog comes in, and it is classic Cushing's. So I'm asking this lady about her dog with Cushing's and I'm asking about the symptoms that the dog is having and is it drinking a lot of water and how long it has been losing its hair. And so she looks at me like I'm nuts. And I go, you know, there's a disease Cushing's. She goes, I'll have you know, this is a Chinese Crested. Now, for those of you who don't know, Chinese Crested is a dog that has no hair. It's fat. (laughs) It's got greasy skin. And she goes, you know. There are seven of these in California, you know. Well, no wonder why I've never seen one. There's only seven in the whole state. (laughs) Meanwhile, talk about open mouth and insert foot. But, you know, you you learn. You're right, Laurie. At the beginning of your career, you learn how much you don't know, not how much you do know. Now, real quick, we have a few minutes left. I want to just really quickly go over some brief myths about feeding. You know, like bird seed is for the birds kind of thing. When you have certain birds, like especially the citizens, what should we be feeding them?
1: Pellets. We should be feeding pellets. There are commercially available pellets, all shapes, colors, sizes. Different birds prefer different colors, different shapes. Some want little Fruit Loops-like ones. Other ones want cubes. But that, that's what we should be feeding. It should make up usually 70% of the diet.
0: Now, could you feed them fresh fruits and vegetables?
1: Absolutely. The other third of the diet can be fresh fruits and vegetables. But just like kids, you know, who get that one bowl of cereal in the morning that you know at least it's balanced. If they eat junk food the rest of the day, at least they're getting uh, a balanced meal if they're snacking on pellets all day long. Seeds are for the birds, as you said, the wild birds. Right,
0: right, and how about like, how about rodents? Like when you have your guinea pig and your rats and your hamsters, can you feed them also pelleted foods or yeah, what's pelleted the? Pelleted
1: food and fresh fruits and vegetables for the herbivores, as you mentioned. You know the the guinea pigs, the rabbits. Remember, as you said before, ferrets are carnivores, so they right. get a different kind of pellet meant for carnivores with high protein. But there are so many great commercially available diets now for all these different species that are formulated for that species.
0: And so lastly, we lastly, we have, I had a client. He calls himself, his nickname is Henry Lizard Lover Schiff, Henry Schiff. And he is, he is, if you ever see these great greeting cards with iguanas in all these shapes and and, and positions and, and interactions with other iguanas, you know, he, he's hysterical. He poses them and they freeze and he takes these great pictures. But I mean, he says he feeds his iguanas a lot of different, like a lot of people foods as well. And also they're pretty, you know, omnivorous and, um, but they can eat all sorts of things. So how about... Like, aren't some reptiles more herbivores and some, like, yeah. you can eat insects, live insects, et cetera?
1: Yeah, definitely. So, iguanas are actually mostly herbivores. And some mm. of the reptiles, I don't love the pellets as much for them. They are, they are out there. But iguanas can do great eating just a balanced diet of fresh vegetables and fruits. Um, mm-hmm. And they do great. They don't even need the pelleted diets. Same for many of the tortoises. You know, but there are some species out there, as you said, that are more omnivores, like even rats. Rats are omnivores. They can eat some meat, animal protein and vegetables, they're insectivores, too. So, you know, certain species
0: eat right. insects. Right. Um, real quick, another cute story before we go. You know, everyone, like in cartoons, we learn that cats will chase rats. And these animals, they're they are very, you know, they're hunters. Cats are natural hunters. So I had two rats for a, a, quite a while. And, um, you know, once every week or so, we would literally put them in the tub. And we would take their terrarium, so to speak, and their, their big glass and clean it and rinse it out, wash it, put new, fresh, you know, um, the shavings in, et cetera, and kind of give them a, a fresh house every once a week. Well, anyway, one week, they're in the bathroom. I'm cleaning out. I'm outside in the backyard, hosing this thing down, and I cannot find one of my cats. Well, I figured, he, you know, he's hiding somewhere in the house. When I'm done, I open up the bathroom. I go into the bathroom, and in the tub with the two rats is this cat. And they are actually playing. They are chasing. They're interacting. It was hysterical. So I'm thinking to myself, what is this nonsense about these natural ratters, right? This, this cat was having the time of his life, and, and so were they. It was very, very cute. Anyway, Lori, it's that time. So uh, once again, Unlikely Companions, where can we get it?
1: You can get it anywhere online on Amazon, iBook, BarnesandNoble.com. Um, you can also visit my website at LoriHessDVM.com for all the information.
0: You know, I will tell you that if you do like exotics or you're thinking about getting some, you know, non-dog or cat, um, you might want to get a hold of Lori's book. Fascinating, adorable. It's fun. Uh, It will definitely make you smile. And um, once again, Lori, thank you so much for joining us. We'd love to have you back on because I know we have listeners out there that get bored of my dog and cat stuff every week. And it would be great to have you on. And if you want to just, you know, hit me with some uh, topics you want to talk about, we'd love to have you. For everybody else, have a great week, everybody. And um, I want to thank, once again, Lori Hess. I want to thank our sponsors, Procent Pet Products, Save This Life Microchip, ProVecto, and Save This, uh, um, uh, and More Than a Cone, um, the the raising awareness of animal wellness through the arts. And we will see you back here next week. So um, have a great week, everybody. Be well. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.